You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Success. Did you run to your dictionary when I said the word success? Of course not. You all know what success means, or do you? Every one of you has a unique definition of success, and it can change many times depending on your relationship to it. If you don't have it, it will mean one thing. If you have it, it will mean something totally different. If you had it and lost it, well, that's a whole different story. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is a very successful man. I would say he is enviably successful. He's a husband and father, an acclaimed author and serial entrepreneur with vast experience in real estate, consulting, and sales. He is a franchise consultant and sales trainer for one of the largest and most successful real estate companies in the United States. At one point in his career, he was selling tens of millions of dollars in real estate each year. I think we would all agree that's success. And yet, there's usually a story behind the glory. This man's fascinating journey taught him multiple meanings of success. It led him to write a thought-provoking book called Resucceed, Create an Extraordinary Future While You Sleep by Using the Five-Minute Epic Evening Ritual. Get excited to meet James Colburn. James, it's an honor to have you here today. Welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you so much. It's just an honor to be here with you. And what a great intro. Thank you so much for that. You know, it's uh, you're welcome. And it's funny because very often my guests are impressed by the intro. And I have to remind them, um, I typed it. You wrote it. You know? <laughs> That's true. Because it comes true, out of your I, I guess, but at least you typed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good start. So, when you were growing up, James, did you have a dream of what you wanted to be as an adult? 
You know, I I was one of those kids uh, that was constantly, I was an idea kid, uh, so constantly thinking of uh, of things that I wanted to do and how, how I could kind of tweak things to make that happen. Um, and I did have a dream, um, so if I was to label that dream, it was it's really the, the whole idea of helping others turn the light on in their lives. So I, I even as a young boy, I, I spent a lot of time uh, watching others do that and just feeling that kind of part that part of me move inside when I when I would experience that. Mm. Where did that influence come from, do you think? You know, it's interesting when you when when you ask that question, the very first thought that comes to my mind is that I was a member of a boy choir uh, growing up. I was uh, a member of the Pasadena Boys Choir down in Southern California, and when everyone else was out playing, um, it, basically playing sports or whatnot, I was typically in a rehearsal hall with a group of other boys um, learning how to sing. And um, that focus on excellence and then also the ability to to create music that would move others really probably was the genesis of that whole kind of turning the light on and others and moving others towards action. So mm. I would say my... My, my choir experience, most that's, likely. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, did you like school? Yeah, I probably liked the relationship aspects of school. I certainly liked the uh, challenge to kind of, quote, make it happen. Um, in terms of school itself and actual, like, was I excited to go to uh, math class? Probably not. Um, I, but interestingly enough, I was very excited to go to speech classes, art classes, uh, drama classes, uh, uh, English classes. So obviously I had a certain slant to my ed educational pursuits, similar to yours. Wow, yeah, as you were talking, I'm going, wow. Besides the fact that you and I go to the same barber, we have, uh, yeah, we have this in common. Yes. And of course, yeah. people can't see us. Uh, James and I both sp sport uh, strikingly handsome shaved heads. Yeah, okay. our barber is uh, is uh, let's see, what's the name of your razor? Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I actually I, I use a Gillette, but one of theirs. I mean, they have so many. <laughs> yes, and um, that's that's that you know that that's interesting. Yeah, I was drawn to those 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 subjects as well. Um, did by the way, did you ever do any acting? I did. I was. Um, uh, I was in, uh, 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 I guess, a co-op uh, called the Glendale Center Theater down in Southern California as a kid, um, and then uh, did a little bit of acting um, as a part of my role um, with the Pasadena Boys Choir just by default because we were invited on to some uh, different shows and whatnot, um, but then um, beyond, you know, educational acting, if you will, or or a class uh, opportunity, no. Uh, but as you're, it, uh, once you ask that question, I'm thinking, you know what? That's kind of a bucket list thing. I'd like to get back to that. And you probably would be good at it. You know, the, what one of the things that I intend to do in the next few years in expanding people's appreciation of what storytelling really means is to really understand that you have no choice. You are acting all the time. 
Um, you either do it consciously in a formal setting where you're getting paid a lot of money for it, or you're creating characters to accomplish what you want in your work. And you being a presenter, a person who's a trainer, you know more about acting than you realize. It's interesting. Oh, thank you. You do. Now, I'm interested to know, where at the height of your success, what was your self-talk like? What was your story? Do you recall specifically? You know, interestingly enough, it wasn't great. My success um, in real estate um, was uh, uh, I, just real quickly. I, I I was doing really well in real estate. I was selling between sixty and eighty houses a year. Um, and one year, I decided to move to one hundred and twenty houses a year. It was just kind of a random idea of ten a month kind of idea. And so I created this business plan and then I followed through with the business plan. And then one thing led to another. And on Christmas Eve, 2006, um, I was at our lake house and enjoying um, the reality that I sold exactly, not one less, uh, but exactly 120 homes um, in 2006. And yet my self-talk at the height of my real estate uh, success. I had some better years, but this would be considered kind of that pinnacle year that where you're a breakthrough year. And honestly, the what I believe that got me from that 60 to 80 number to 120 was really a positive self-talk, a conversation of everything's possible, walking in that possibility. However, the negative self-talk is that I only felt like it was as good as my next transaction or my mm. next deal. So it was this weird juxtaposed uh, positive self-talk, walking in the possibility, uh, getting out of your own way, and then yet getting in your way when you don't allow yourself to celebrate the um, kind of celebrate the good parts of life because you're so scared of losing what you've gained. Mm, uh, so my, mm. yeah. So the self-talk issue actually culminated in 2006 and I knew absolutely knew I needed to do something about that, uh, about the kind of living in lack aspects of success, which is so true for so many. Wow. You know, I, w I want to come back to that because that's fascinating, but, um, I got ahead of myself. I wanted to know what led you to a career in real estate in the first place. Well, great question. I actually ran a, a nonprofit. Uh, you probably heard of the YMCA. Of course. Uh, I was a membership marketing director for the YMCA. I chose the YMCA right out of college uh, because I, when I, uh, when I was kind of thinking of careers, I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great? to work in an, in an organization that I once looked up to. So as a kid, I, I was a member at the YMCA and looked up to the directors at the YMCA. And so when I graduated from college, I thought, well, I'll just work where uh, at the same organization where I used to look up to the people that worked there. So I uh, got this job at the YMCA, and it was great, although nonprofit incomes are ultimately nonprofit. Uh, so I, I, I realized as we started to consider um, starting a family, my wife and I, that maybe perhaps we should get uh, uh, 
an income production uh, scenario for both of us that would um, be better suited for uh, the expense of a family. Um, and I, every single weekend, I was taking my wife out to look at houses, not because we wanted to buy another house, but because I just wanted to see houses. I just had a fascination for different floor plans and just the, the feel and look of homes. Finally, my wife said, James, I'm just sick of looking at houses. Would you please just become a realtor? And that's literally, that was the, um, that was the, you know, kind of wife nod, if you will, that I could go and follow my pursuit of real estate. That's great because, I mean, you were obviously passionate about it. So it wasn't something that you did, well, I got to do something. No, you legitimately were interested in homes and their designs, etc. Said, so, yeah, it was a great step. Kudos to your wife for uh, giving you that little nudge. Now, as, as you were working in real estate, what did you like most about it? You know, I really do like the mindset aspect. So you're, you're all, you're, you want to raise, you sell another house. So there's really no uh, limit to that. The only reason, I mean, shoot, you know, you only have to meet, I would say 24 uh, work with, meet and work with 24 buyers or sellers a year to make quite a handsome living. Um, so, uh, you know, my feeling was that once you could kind of get out of your own way, like I've already mentioned, um, and actually do the things that you know you should do, but you resist doing. Resistance is a huge uh, a barrier, if you will, to success in real estate. So for me, it was uh, avoiding the resistance aspects of uh, success. Um, and I love that because it was a personal growth opportunity for me, um, not just an income production opportunity for me. So, uh, you know, even for your listeners, um, you know, in whatever area of business or uh, entrepreneurship um, they're in, there's this kind of weird um, challenge between um, doing something, you know, because you it's a means to an end. It's, it pays the bills. Uh, versus the uh, growth opportunities. So if it makes you a better person at the end or at the end of the month or at the end of the year, um, you know, it's when it combines the two that, um, you know, that, you know, you kind of see it all kind of fold together. So for me, um, real estate allowed me to grow myself as well as um, grow my ability to provide. You know, I love that answer. And something tells me that you're a fan of Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Absolutely. Wonderful book. And yeah. I quoted it in my book. So Simon's an, ah. uh, amazing. You know, just kind of breaking down that, uh, uh, breaking down the, you know, I, I love his 18 minute, three second video on YouTube, quite frankly, because he, he begins to speak on the difference between speaking about the what versus the why. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. No, that's wonderful. You know, getting briefly to know you here i just had a thought while you were describing what you like most about working in real estate and you probably have thought of this but you have a creative side to you uh an artistic side and don't you think don't you agree that that se selling homes is never about selling something physical so when you get really good at it, you're selling something intangible. You're selling a dream to somebody. You're selling them the promise of a better life. You're selling them something that's connected to their heart values. 
in order for them to get excited enough to say, yes, I want to buy this physical thing that's going to deliver all those intangibles. Absolutely. And, and, you know, being a part of that and, and helping others realize that it's, it's the, it's less the tangible, it's more the, what's going to, the, the, it's, it's the home, not the house, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the beauty of that is that even if it's only happening at an unconscious level for you as a salesperson, you're satisfying that need to create because that's what you're doing. You're creating, co-creating with these people a dream. And that's, that's, you know, artists do that. So it's an interesting thing. So let's get back to the story that was a bit negative for you. The other story going on that maybe you didn't want to listen to too much. Why do you think there was a voice telling you a script telling you that you maybe shouldn't appreciate your your victory here. Well, you know, this question right here could uh, take the rest of our show together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but I uh, I would say that um, the, re- the realization for me, and actually this realization came um, more recently, um, was that we all struggle with the feeling of enoughness. Or the lack of enoughness, better put. And what I realized in 2016, as I was wrapping up this book, I'd written the book three times, and in 2016 I wrote it one more time. Uh, and I, another sermon, if you will, would be you know getting rid of perfectionism. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, enoughness uh, idea came um, to me in um, about. February of 2016, as I realized that every one of us at one point has either um, adopted the idea that we're not enough or accepted that we're not enough by what others have told us. So we've either accepted it or we've adopted it. And that happened one day. And whenever I mention this concept to people, and they're actually listening, not trying to dispacify me, they'll actually, most people can go right back to that moment. So it's not something you have to really sit down and reflect on for days on end to realize that moment when enoughness or the lack thereof took hold. And for me, I went back to this moment um, immediately when challenged to consider uh, when I adopted the idea that I wasn't enough, that I actually needed to earn into the school, if you will, of enoughness or become a card holder of the club of enoughness. I'd always kind of considered that something that I, that I needed but I didn't yet have. Um, but the moment that I accepted that was way back when I was, I think, 10 years old, and I was in what my parents called the duck yard, because they at one point had a duck in it, and then as when the duck passed away, uh, the duck yard became a place to hang clothes, and um, Southern California, you actually hung clothes and dried them outside, um, and my mom was folding clothes, and I was playing off to the side, and she started crying. And I remember 
Um, going up to her, she was kneeling, uh, folding clothes over a clothes hamper, and um, I, or a basket, if you will, and I um, stood, I was the same James as I am now, and I put my hand on her shoulder, and I asked her what was going on, and she was crying about uh, yeah, my dad's alcoholism, my brother's drug addictions, and I just put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, I will never, ever do those things to you, and I will protect you from those things. And interestingly enough, what I had done at that very moment at 10 years old is I had, quite frankly, signed up for way more than I could ever deliver on. And that's when I realized that enoughness is not, you know, you're not big enough to be a linebacker. Enoughness quite often is not some deficiency that if you work hard enough, you can obtain. But instead, the lack of enoughness oftentimes is that we've signed up for something, either mentally or out loud, verbally, um, agreed to be something that we simply should never have done. And at 10 years old, there's no way that I could protect my mother from the pains that would come. Uh, and there was several, uh, including my brother's uh, suicide. And, uh, you know, it took me all the way until 2016 to realize that that was the very moment where enoughness began to steal the my willingness to celebrate success. Wow. That's a very, very powerful story. And so now when I speak of that story to others, especially high-achieving, highly successful people, which is who, uh, who my book is, uh, well, certainly attracts and who is written to, the conversation is, what if you showed up already enough? What if your success wasn't this chase to prove that you're enough? What if you're already enough and in that enoughness, you show up in life, in family, in business? What if you walk into a room feeling like you already have arrived rather than someday, just someday, maybe you'll be enough to be in a room, be in that certain room, be with certain people or whatever it is, what, whatever is important to you? That's a life-changing shift because it takes you from lack to abundance yeah. And uh, if you really are in it emotionally, you're not desperate. You're not focused as much on what you want and need, but you're much more focused on serving the needs of the people that you're working with. All of that. So it becomes more enjoyable as well. Wonderful stuff. Talk about things that will change your story. Mm -hmm. Now, what were the pressures on you? I'm assuming that there were status, comfort, etc., to keep you doing what you were doing and staying in that state of trying to prove and achieve more, achieve more, achieve more. At first thought, I'm thinking, well, I mean, no different pressures on me than anyone, except for the fact that I thought, well, you know, our my opportunities right before me, I should just see, seize the opportunity. You know, there was, uh, for me, it was uh, really chasing after the opportunity that was in front of me that no one was going to get in the way of. That's the beauty of real estate or the, the beauty of being a self-proprietor is that you, or sole proprietor, is that you really have the opportunity for endless, um, 
you know, endless success financially. Um, and so for me, I just ran with it. Um, but what I had to do, I had to do a little hat trick on that and I had to create enough reason, um, to be, um, ultra successful financially. Um, because otherwise, I mean, you know how that goes. If you, you know, if there's not enough reason, you, there's not enough reason to take a shower in the morning for that matter. Mm -hmm. So, so you, uh, so I created all these really, really, uh, non-negotiable reasons why I needed to make so much. And I actually created mental buckets for where money would go, um, so that I could keep, you know, keep pushing, uh, the boulder up the hill. And, um, and, and that allowed me to chunk, chunk it down really to just work on one bucket at a time, uh, one goal at a time rather than just, um, uh, one massive goal for the year type thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it really just for me, it was again, getting out of my own way. Can you share with us, um, uh, one specific thing that was in one of the buckets? Well, I mean, I laugh when I say this now, but uh, I created this goal to, as one of the buckets to take my family to Hawaii for an entire month. And I felt like that was a great goal. However, I needed it to be a little more, I, I, I call it full color thinking in my book, um, because I think a lot of times we view life in black and white until it arrives. Um, and when we can um, actually um, create an, an incredible full color picture of where we're moving towards, at the moment that it becomes vivid and full color, we can do nothing but move towards it. So for me, I created this image uh, in my head that was quite real of exactly what it would look like to take my family to Hawaii for an entire month, including what I put down on my business plan, which was to use the hangers in the hotels. Um, which I always jokingly mention, it's like I, my goal was to go to Hawaii for a month and use the hangers. And whenever I say, and use the hangers, people get it. Cause you know, when you use the hangers in a hotel, you're serious. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm pretty serious. I use them all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, That means you bring a nice coat with you and a nice starch shirt. So <laughs> But uh, I use the hangers and uh, in in each of the hotels, even though I just had t-shirts and cargo shorts at the time. But um, for my Hawaii trip, but I uh, had a great a great time. But that was just one little small example. Um, what I found though is um, as a part of this kind of chase for more and uh, feeling uh, a lack of enoughness um, was that whenever I had too much money set aside. Um, then, um, I felt like there was less few, I mean, there was too much fuse. And so I had less edge. So I wanted to keep myself needing more, which I've, uh, I, I hired a coach at one point and she said, James, fear is a negative fuel. It initially helps you, but then over time it, it begins to not help you. It becomes a negative fuel for success. And a lot of times we use that fear to push us, right? Like I've got to, because I got to pay for this or I got to do that. But it actually takes from us long-term, maybe initially just to get off the dime. It makes sense, but long-term it takes from us. And I was using fear as a negative fuel. So I would you know, actually go and buy an investment property or spend the money um, as quick as I made it, because I felt like if I had too much money, then I wouldn't you know, like I, I jokingly say, I wouldn't show up 
or take a shower or clean my car, you know, or whatever to work with another client. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, was there one defining moment that made you stop and say, okay, enough, something has to change? Well, the defining moment actually was Christmas Eve 2006 when um, I was trying to will my phone to ring. Um, I was literally trying to get uh, one more transaction put together on Christmas Eve 2006. Speaking of uh, starch shirts, I had one hanging in my car, and I was ready to go to work that evening right after dinner. My mother-in-law and my wife were cleaning up after dinner. My children were playing Legos inside their bedroom. We were at my lake house, and I was staring at my phone saying, ring, ring, and it didn't ring on Christmas Eve. And I thought for sure someone would want to buy or sell a, a piece of real estate on Christmas Eve, but no. So I, uh, I actually went down to Costco that evening and bought a TV with a DVD integrated into it. Uh, since our lake house, we had chosen not to have a TV. And I was about to change that because I needed to get my mind off the fact that my phone wasn't ringing. So honestly, at that very moment, I realized, huh, uh, this isn't right. This is, there's something wrong with this sort of thinking. But I still went and bought the TV, and I <laughs> plugged it in, and uh, uh, all I bought was some rated R movies that evening at, um, uh, and one PG-13 movie at um, Costco. And of course, my children were way too young to, uh, to watch with me, and my wife um, said we won't be watching uh, World Trade Center with Nicolas Cage about people jumping out of buildings on 911. Um, uh, 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 we won't be doing that. Um, uh, uh, which I'm just thinking as I'm speaking, it is 911 right now. That's right. Um, yeah. So, but uh, we won't be watching that movie with the kids. And so, I uh, didn't watch the movies, but I realized I kind of derailed at that moment. And so the next year, I hired a coach. Oh. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. What obstacles did you discover you had to overcome now in order to make the change? Well, when I hired my coach, I told her, you know, you'd think I would have learned by then that I needed to be chasing after uh, uh, a new goal, not just financial success, uh, or combining it with a new goal. And yet, I told my coach her job was to help me make $300,000 more per year. So I was still chasing after just money when I hired my coach. And she interrupted me and said, James, I can help you with that $300,000. Uh, and by the way, I never met my coach in person, only by phone. It's the way I coach now. It's wonderful because you can be massively transparent over the phone. You're not distracting by your you know, hand motions or, or you know, body language. Um, so from, a, you know, from a coaching opportunity standpoint, it was wonderful to be able to work with, with her and yet never meet her. I've never met her to date, but I've written about her in my book a whole lot. Um, so I'd love to hand her a copy, but I can't even find her. Huh. Uh, but, uh, um, she said, James, I have one question for you. And then, uh, and then I, I can help you with that 300,000, but I need to talk to you about one thing. I said, what's that? She said, do you play Legos with your kids? And I said, you had to ask that. I said, I, it's so hard for me to slow down enough to get on my hands and knees and play Legos with my children. Whenever I do, I start thinking of all the things that I need to be doing for work. 
And so it's almost like um, the second I slow down or the second I'm still with my children is the second that my to-do list starts building or I start remembering all the things that I haven't yet done. And she says, so here's the deal. I can help you make an additional $300,000 a year, but not until you can play Legos with your children and enjoy it. Mm, that is wonderful. And um, for people listening, for many of you, this may be an important takeaway. What was your new self-talk that began to support your change moving in this positive direction? Well, I mean, the first, the first, you know, conversation was the fact that I had done such a great job in business planning myself to success. I mean, I, the difference between success and non-success is simply doing the things you already know you need to be doing. Uh, I mean, it really is. This isn't rocket science by any stretch. We know exactly what we need to be doing. And the only difference is that some of us do it and some of us don't. And I'm not saying that we just need to be busy, busy, busy chasing after the American dream. I'm saying that there's certain things that are critical, uh, mission critical to our success that off, often we uh, avoid because, frankly, we are fearful of our possible success. Uh, we're more comfortable in our non-success than in the um, questionable success of our future. And if we chase after achievement and success and then don't actually arrive, well, then we would have to admit that as well. So mm -hmm. there's this moment when um, my self-talk had to shift and I realized that I'm just, I'm, I'm great at creating a business plan and following through with, you know, the work, doing the work, which reminds me of uh, Stephen Pressfield in a book he wrote called, I think, Do the Work, um, where he talks about um, um, the movies he's written as well as the book he, books he's written and the difference. The hardest part about writing a book is sitting down to write a book. It's not the typing. It's not what you're writing. It's sitting down to write the book. So for me, um, I realized that the thing that was missing in my business plan was that I was not business planning fulfillment. Mm. And it's as simple as doing that. So I would say the biggest aha here is, are you business planning fulfillment into your life? Tony Robbins once said, success without fulfillment is failure. And I heard that quote, and I believe it. That's the difference. I realized, okay, if you're massively successful, but you're not fulfilled by any of it, there's no fulfillment, then it is abject failure. You've wasted your time. And Tony, these days, uses a very strong example of that, the, an example that everyone knows. Do you know what it is? Uh, they, know, they know it when they hear it. Remind me. He points to an individual who is loved by the world. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who is it? Uh, uh, Robin Williams. You got it. Yes. Yeah, I was just at an event last month. Tony was the keynote speaker, and he told that story again to us. Uh, he, you know, about the fact that here was this man that everyone loved. His success was unquestionable. 
he killed himself, that he mastered everything except fulfillment, so ultimately he failed. Yes. That's, yeah, it's powerful stuff. So the Just, difference is you got to believe it. I mean, success without fulfillment is failure. When you, you can either, yeah, 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 whatever. I, you know, I mean, it's, I, I need to be successful first, then I'll be fulfilled. Like it's separate. Right. And I would say as you become more of who you already are, as you begin to be, as you implement uh, uh, components of fulfillment into your daily life, your success is, uh, is unlimited. That, that, that avoiding success, I mean, one of the quotes in my book, and I won't say it perfect here, but it's the idea that uh, uh, we are all fearful that while we're jumping for joy, if you will, that the ground beneath us will go missing. You know, we will, we will land and there will be no ground beneath. Like the six, more successful you are, the more you hesitate to celebrate, uh, the more you hesitate to actually find joy in it because you don't want to jinx it. Mm-hmm. The mind is a trickster, isn't it? The mind is a trickster. Now, did you invest in formal personal development uh, as you were growing? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, after the Christmas Eve 2006 event, I started coaching um, and have kept a steady regimen of coaching since then, um, but uh, in different forms. Um, one of the biggest things is, is, is business planning, if you will, that. And I use the word business planning because people, it, it, it speaks to the business mind. Um, but business planning is more like journaling or whatever you want to call it. I mean, really, this is not a business plan that you would, you know, make at MIT. This is a business plan for your life and for your future and for your business. And it's as simple as, um, and my book kind of speaks to this, is asking what I call great questions. Challenging yourself to consider the unlived life that you have yet to live. Mm, yeah. There was a wonderful book. Uh, I don't even know if it's published anymore. The Magic of Asking the Right Questions. And uh, yeah, it's very, very profound because the question you asked is going to determine the answer you get. Yes. Yeah, it changes a, the lens. Totally. I mean, on a, on a very simple level, huge difference when something bad happens to say, why did that happen to me? Because you're going to get answers to it that are not empowering. Or saying, how can I make this great that will give you answers that are empowering? I, I had that experience when I crashed my first Mercedes-Benz. And when I asked, how can I make this great? I actually came up with a lot of reasons and I made it great. But uh, yeah, asking the right questions is crucial to finding your path to happiness or unhappiness. Who else close to you was impacted by your new direction in life? Well, a good good question and probably literally everyone. In fact, most of the people I worked with um, said, oh, this is the new James. We actually wow. had a joke, a joke going, the old James and the new James. Um, probably first up was those that worked with me because Prior to um, my realization that fulfillment was a key aspect of success, 
um, I was, I pretty much was walking around, um, with blinders on avoiding, you know, all contact outside of contact with my clients, um, and buyers and sellers and whatnot. So pretty much, uh, one track, um, disengaged with, uh, with my peers, um, massively absent at home. So obviously my wife, Marita and my children, there's literally gaps, gaps of my availability in some of those years as I was chasing uh, financial success. So there was lots of impact um, uh, to those closest to me um, in terms of relationship primarily. Mm -hmm. Just getting back for a moment to the question of personal development, were there any courses that you took formally? Like did you study with, besides mentors, one-on-one, -on -one, did you study with any of the gurus? Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of Lou Tice with the Pacific Institute. Um, uh, yeah, I have, and, as a matter yeah. of fact. Yeah. I did a little work with them. Um, uh, I'm an avid reader. I, uh, so I would say that part of it is my, I, I love to, I, I read, or if you will, I listen to uh, 40 to 50 books a year. Um, uh, but I also do a lot of driving and flying. So for me, it's, you know, wonderful to, uh, immerse myself in that. Um, and, um, I have, I too have been to a Tony Robbins event, but that was, uh, more recently. Um, but a bucket list item. Um, I really, really like Darren Hardy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Darren Hardy. Oh yeah. Um, Success yeah. magazine. Yeah. I listened yeah. to some of his stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy his, uh, Darren daily. Um, that's a, that's been a wonderful, uh, uh, attribute. And then he actually, actually also created a thing called insane productivity, uh, which again is getting out of your own way. One of his, uh, actually it's a 12 week course online. Uh, it's a thousand dollars and refundable of course. Um, but, um, out of everything, 12 weeks, the best was his out of office reminder um, and he has this auto out of office reminder he uses every night that he's trying to see another sunset. And his goal was to see, I think, 200 sunsets a year. And the only way to see a sunset is to not be looking at your phone. Mm. So he, 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 he created this wonderful out of office reminder that he, um, uh, you know, responder that goes out on his emails and texts. Um, and I started using the, the script on that and no one, <clears throat> excuse me, no one can argue it. I mean, when you're trying to see, when you mention that it's your goal to see so many sunsets a year, there's not one person that you work with that's going to argue with you. Mm-hmm. So that's just a few. That's that's wonderful. That is wonderful. Uh, I I I'll bet that you also listen to uh, Joe Polish. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I love marketing. Yes. The podcast. Yeah. I, yes. I listen to it now every morning when I'm at the gym, and wow, what a difference it makes in setting oh, up yeah. my in setting up my day. Yes. Now. When did you write Resucceed? When did you get passionate enough and committed enough to say, I've actually got to write a book about this? Well, when I, when the real estate market crashed, and I don't know if you remember uh, when that happened in 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, mm -hmm. 
uh, <laughs> during the, those years, I did have a fair bit of money saved up, um, and I decided to go back and get my master's degree um, in um, a vague but interesting um, uh, thing called uh, international care and community development. And uh, what I chose that subject because I wanted it to be vague enough for me to craft what I would get out of it. And uh, instead of writing a thesis, I wrote a book um, because they allowed me to do that for the program. And, um, and then the book sat on a shelf. Um, and so it was out there, and I had every reason under the sun why I was not good enough to finish it hmm. or, uh, or to publish it, better put. So, uh, and I was perfecting on that. I mentioned earlier there's this perfection thing that holds us from relationship. If mm-hmm. there's any – the most of the time, my book and those I speak with struggle with two things, and that is attention deficit, undiagnosed or diagnosed, and perfectionism. And both of those, and those are the attributes of entrepreneurs. I mean, it's what makes us great in a lot of ways is the ability to um, do many different things, not simultaneously, but uh, at you know, in the in the same hour, if you will, and then also a relentless pursuit for perfection. However, perfection holds us from relationship. And um, my struggle was that during uh, the years when I didn't publish the book. And so finally, in 2016, I pulled out all my manuscripts, which at that point there was three, and wrote it one more time. And that did it. So what, what allowed you to go to actually, you had to be afraid, right? There was something at risk there, putting it out into the world. Right, oh yeah, so, and so well, it, yeah, it you know what happened is that I hired I hired an editor, um, and I realized that um, that my you know it wasn't editing my own work was futile, and it got me into this cycle of you know writing a sentence, deleting a sentence, rewriting a sentence. So I decided I'm just going to write this thing and have the editor fix it. Mm. And uh, that really, really helped me knowing that there was someone that would, quote, complete me. That's how I acknowledged her at the end of my book. She's a wonderful editor. Um, and, and she didn't steal from the tone and um, my writing style. She only um, b- uh, benefited the entire manuscript. So it was the editor was uh, a great thing. But also just kind of continually getting out of my own way. So because what I realized is that that when we try to in intellectually what I call connect the dots in my book, I talk about it. It's this idea that we try to connect the dots. So when we're going to do something new or something we've never done before or something that's out of our comfort zone, we first start trying to connect all the dots and make sure that we have all the necessary dots to complete the, the project. And so, you know, you're saying, well, yeah, I, I've got something to write about. Okay. Well, there's a good dot. Um, and, um, you know, I've written the book already. Okay, there's a dot. But I'm, I don't like, you know, how it's written. And I don't have an editor um, that I can call on. So, oh, well, I guess I won't write a book. Like, literally, we'll get to the third or fourth dot and figure out, 
um, that, you know, there's a re good enough reason not to do it. Or I'm a nobody, no one knows who I am, so why would I write a book? Or whatever, right? Mm. But but the the reason to write a book is not for book sales. The reason to write a book is not, you know, for some sort of massive wave of success. The reason to write a book is that you believe that you have something that you are duty-bound to share. That there's this responsibility to share, and you wouldn't be true to yourself to not share it. Well, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I created this plan to finish the book. Well, where I messed up there is I created a plan to finish the book. So I finished it, and then I was petrified to publish it. Why? Because when you publish a book, then you have to let it go and give it away to the world and risk hearing that maybe someone doesn't like it, which, by the way, not everyone likes everything you anyone says, right? So, you know, best of luck to you if you're just going to try to, you know, have, uh, you know, everyone singing your name on high, right? So there's this, there's this letting it go thing and giving it to the world that happens that takes quite a bit of, for me, it took a, a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of faith in the process. Fantastic. Took a lot of courage, man. Congratulations that you got it done and uh, wonderful for the world because it's something that people will benefit from. Describe your five-minute epic evening ritual. Well, so I, I've touched on this a little bit. It's about asking great questions. And as a highly successful, high-achiever individual, what we normally try to do is have all the right answers. In fact, we're quite good at coming up with answers or solutions to things, and we come up uh, with them on the fly and ongoing. And what I realized is that we begin to uh, accept all of our BS, I guess is the way to put it, um, and we're never, we're so dang interesting as successful, high, highly achieved individuals, but we're never interested anymore in mm. our life, or more importantly, our unlived life. And the shame would be to just chase after the things that we're good at or get, or, or get paid for or are successful at or have accolades, you know, um, chase after that and then skip the more redeeming parts, the more transcendent parts of our life. Um, and, and so what I found is that by asking three great questions in the evening, just five minutes before you go to sleep, you unlock access to the creative subconscious while you sleep, which is scientific. Your brain actually works on a completely different level while you're sleeping. And you open yourself up to this creative subconscious by simply asking or planting these three great questions right before you go to sleep. And they are different every night. And they're not special. And I don't have to help anyone write questions. But I do give, you know, I give... Uh, 15 chapters of sample questions at the end of each chapter um, in e examples of very actionable, interesting questions. However, the main goal here is to ask questions about your life that you literally don't have the answer to. Believing in the process, believing in the miraculous, if you will, of uh, letting them go, asking them, resisting answering them, go to sleep, and the answers will arrive. I mean, we've all slept on big decisions. This is the uh, that same idea in question form. 
Wonderful. Can you give us just one example? Sure. Absolutely. So I, uh, I break my questions up into re-engage, reaffirm, and reassess questions. So uh, re-engage, uh, you know, yeah, it's kind of obvious what the what what each are about. But re-engage is the idea that there's aspects of our life that we need to figure out the order of things. So, for example, what's first things first, or um, as a re-engagement exercise, reflecting, um, or the idea of enoughness. Um, reaffirm questions are like becoming and moments of brilliance and the miraculous or having gratitude, what I call granule gratitude. And then reassess questions would be like language. The, you speak of this a lot. Managing your energy. I call it managing your energy rather than working out or exercising. Um, comfort zones or resistance or uh, even a chapter called Lego time, which I've touched on. Um, so uh, an example of a question out of the enoughness chapter, which would be like, what is something I believe I must share with the world that I have avoided doing to make others feel more comfortable? Mm. Or how, yeah. can I, how can I encourage the people I encounter tomorrow, so that's the actionable tomorrow with a timeline, to echo their lives in ways that contribute to others? And these might just sound like questions, but when you ask them and you really, truly Resist the desire, you know, that kind of high successful, high achieved desire to answer them, but really open yourself up to the answer that you don't yet know. And I write them down on a three by five card, and then I review these cards the next day and I actually keep the cards. Mm. I'm going to start using that. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. Well, it's real simple. It's five, five minutes, three questions. No perfection. Just write some questions and uh, let your creative subconscious and the miraculous take over in the evening while you're sleeping. Quite beautiful. Why did you throw away your to-do list? So I, uh, uh, it's a provocative idea, but what I realized is my to-do list became a to-remember list. I had so many items on my to-do list that I literally would, was right, keeping this list and rarely was I getting after anything on the list that I didn't want to do. Um, and sometimes when I didn't get after anything on the list, I would just go back over the list and decide what's no longer relevant and then cross the, the item off. And then I would kind of feel, in essence, like I did an item, even though all I did was cross it off. I don't know if that re resonates with you. but it's, Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, I'm the kind of guy that um, has, uh, if I have too many calendar items in my schedule, then I, I rephrase things or group things together in one calendar item or delete stuff off my calendar, and I feel better when there's more white space. So same idea with the to-do list. It became a to-remember list, and I realized at my age, I know exactly what I need to do, and the point is I'm not doing it because I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's the bottom line is that I enable uh, myself to not do things by writing them down. By not writing them down, uh, and I mean, granted, there are certain things that I'll keep in my calendar as placeholders uh, for my time, so time blocking. So I haven't taken away time blocking. But what I don't do is just write down every nitty-gritty thing because what I realize is I'm a big boy. I know exactly what I need to do, and I'm either gonna, going to do it or not. So when I got rid of my to-do list, I started doing things. 
partly because I had to do them before I forgot them. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, you know, if, if they're not written down, you no longer have that crutch, you know, that mm-hmm. it's written somewhere so you don't have to remember it anymore. So I got rid of it and I immediately started tackling things because I had to before they went away. That's um, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Um, it's a neat, it's a neat cool. trick. <laughs> it's a, well, it's a cool exercise to get rid of your to-do list. Um, and then, you know, it reminds me of the book Essentialism. So then you start focusing on the most essential parts of what you need to be doing rather than, you know, like I put down like, you know, replace the, the doorknob on one of the kids' bedrooms. Like you don't need to have that on a to-do list. You know it. You see it every morning, right? So there's, you know, we're writing things on our to-do list that we already know that we ha- do not need to be reminded on a piece of paper of. And so by getting rid of it, it, all of a sudden your to-do list gets pared down to the most essential. Mm, Very, very good. Why is it important not only to know what you want, but also to tell others? Well, this is a big deal for me because I realized uh, I went to Thailand as part of my field work um, for my master's program. And what the goal was to get out of the comfort zone and um, to go to a place that you'd never been before and to observe. So I went uh, for 12 days, and while I was there, I realized that people in Thailand do not complain at what they do have. And yet, what I realized in America is we complain about what we do have. We complain about what we don't want and what we do have first. So an example would be, I ask someone, hey, where do you want to go to vacation this year? And the answer is, well, I don't want it to be cold, right? So there's the, no, I asked you what you, where you do want to go on vacation. So what I realized is one of the biggest missing pieces uh, for us is knowing exactly what we do want. We know what we don't want, but we don't know what we do want. So we need to work on that. For me, I knew I wanted to sell 120 houses. I created this massively clear, vivid picture of what that meant to sell 120 houses, including, by the way, the imagination of working with 150 individuals, of which 120 would actually buy or sell. Um, So I had this really, really clear picture. I knew exactly what I did want, and then I told others, right, what I wanted. Um, and this would apply in any business and any, you know, if you're a salesperson, for sure, it's kind of like the avatar of what, what you're looking for, or who you're looking to work with. It'd be if you told me, these are the type of guests I'm looking for. If you see one, please let me know. I'd love to have them on the show. More likely, I'm going to make a referral there, right? When you ex- know what you want and tell me what you want. So, you know, in marriage, in, in, in business, with my children, with, you know, with aspects of my business plan when it comes to fulfillment, clear definition of what I do want and then tell others is the quickest and most um, expedient way to get what you're looking for. Great answer. Um, not exactly what I expected, but I loved it. I learned something there. What I'm going to ask you is that is part of telling others so that you have accountability? Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, when you're buying a red car, all you do is see that car on the freeway, you know, the red car on the freeway. Mm -hmm. So the whole reticular activator system, 
it, it really doesn't have to do with accountability. That would be a different subject on, uh, on the same subject. But, mm -hmm. uh, but it, you know, I, I'm really just exposing others to the red car that I want to buy. And, I mean, when I've played this out, uh, you know, when I let others know exactly why I want a red car and what kind of car it is and, you know, why it's important to me, then the next weekend I'm getting a call from that same person. Hmm. That's quite interesting. Very, very illuminating, my friend. Where do you see yourself in five years? Everyone wants me to have a grand um, goal for five years from now for some reason in the last, like, three weeks. Um, <laughs> I don't think you want it, but it's a great question. Uh, and I, I keep on getting challenged uh, to answer this. And um, I'm I wouldn't say I'm I wouldn't say I'm content because I I'm, I'm always looking to, you know, if it's as uh, 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 Richard Branson says, if it's not broken, break it. Um, so I tend to follow the same idea there. That, by the way, is a, a book I'm reading right now called The Virgin Way. Um but uh, um, I, I would say that I, I'm fascinated by the idea of our changing real estate industry. Um, so I'd like to be a part of, I'd like to be an influencer in um, that change. Um, as, as real estate continues to speed up just because of technology, so I mean the idea of being able to purchase a home and have it change into your hands in a few days, not, you know, not in five weeks, six weeks. You know, and that, that's all coming down the line. That's going to rapidly change the real estate industry. And, I mean, five and a half million homes a year, every year, year in and year out, are sold, transacted. And that, that number pretty much has not changed, even with, you know, all the generated leads online and even with, you know, um, everything happening in our world, it's usually about five and a half million homes a year. So that's not the change. The change is how the business gets done. And, you know, for me, it's how it, I'd like to be a part of that discussion. I'd like to be a part. I want to work with the the disruptive uh, organization in that space, mm. number one. But I always believe in a plan A, B, and C. Um, uh, so my, my second focus would be to continue to, um, work with people, um, in, in my coaching business to help see the light, um, the light of fulfillment and the light of not, um, you know, adopting or accepting this whole negative fuel, uh, fear as a negative fuel and really speaking towards the the concept of enoughness in all of our lives, that the moment we were born, we're enough. The moment we had our first cry in the hospital room, we were enough, not because we're perfect or not because um, we have all the right answers, but because despite ourselves, we are enough, we're here. So that that's a, a message that I want to share. And whenever I do, I, I see a, uh, a vulnerability arrive in people's lives and oftentimes even a tear. So that is a, a very, very wonderful and noble uh, uh, wish. I wouldn't say wish, but aspiration. And um, from the way you're talking about it, it's I'm confident that you'll achieve that. You've mentioned some wonderful books. Is there one that you would say is your favorite? Uh, you know, I mentioned the book Chasing Daylight by Erwin McManus. Um, seize the power of every moment 
Erwin um, McManus was a CEO of a KPMG accounting firm, and he was given, I think, six months to live. And so for him, he, uh, he wrote this book, and I think he got – oh, no, I'm sorry. He was given less than that, I think three months to live, and he was able to write five chapters. His wife wrote the sixth because he had, was gone. Um, wonderful book about um, viewing life differently, not leaning on life based on what we have done, so the successes that we've already experienced or, or our history, and not viewing life on what we hope to do because he didn't have the benefit of either. He had to view life and enjoy life in the now. And reading that from someone that was dying in this very short but poignant book was a, a, a great process for me as a, as a part of writing my book. Mm. So that's, that, that would definitely be a, a top book for me. Um, he, he puts it, uh, you know, so putting an end to passive observation paralyzed by the need for perfect opportunity and start seizing the raw, untapped potential of your life with God. Mm. Definitely what I'm going to be looking up. What is your favorite quote? In the middle of writing my book, I was um, uh, looking for quotes to start each chapter. My wife sent me this quote from Mia Hamm. And it's, take your victories, whatever they may be, cherish them, use them, but don't settle for them. Mm. So the idea you, that, yeah, so it, go ahead. How do you spell her last name? Uh, Mia Hamm, isn't she an ice skater? Sometimes I mess this up. Mia Hamm, H-A-M-M. And she is... It's okay. Uh, soccer, soccer. I see. Okay. Yep. Take your victories. Whatever they may be. Cherish them. Use them. But don't settle for them. That's beautiful. So, yeah, so they, the idea is that, even, like I mentioned, that even because we're good at things, even because we're, even because we're, you know, we have accolades for things or we're paid well for things, that might not very well be why we're here on earth. By settling for those things, thinking that they are our reason for being here on earth, we might miss out on the essence. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying don't. Be great at what you're great at. I'm just saying be interested in the unlived life. Write three great questions down in the evening. Open yourself up to uh, become interested rather than interesting for once and resist the need to answer them on your own. Let the creative subconscious, the miraculous, arrive, give you the answers to your questions, your great questions. You're in a very wonderful space, James. You really are. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing in the world, what would it be? Well, I've touched on this as well, and it really is this resistance thing. You know, we've, we, we're a culture that um, actually uh, figures out ways to resist doing the very things that would be the best for us. Um, it, we have a million reasons uh, and a million crutches, if you will, to resist. Um, there's a book um, called The War of Art. Um, rather than The Art of War, Mm -hmm. um, by Stephen Pressfield. And he has an entire chapter on resistance, which um, I absolutely love. And an example of resistance, for example, would be like 
some people, when they're having a challenge in their marriage, hire a marriage counselor, right? And for some people, that would be very positive. But interestingly, for many, many others, in fact, probably the predominant group, um, hiring a marriage counselor is a grand excuse to do nothing about your marriage the entire time you're in marriage counseling. It's kind of like to-do list, mm. right? It's this grand excuse to resist the very thing that you want to work on. So, you know, you've got this person that you're talking to and then you do nothing to improve your marriage while you're in marriage counseling. Maybe uh, the improvement would happen once you no longer were in counseling. That's not always the case for everyone, but for many it is. Um, so for, for me, I, I would love to uh, wave, wave the wand to eradicate resistance from our lives um, and uh, you're giving me a wand. This is not literally possible, but if you gave me that wand and I could wave it, I think we would, um, we would all live better lives. I agree. One of my mentors, T. Harv Ecker, uh, said this about resistance. I never forgot it. All pain comes from resistance. I love that. How Good. can people contact you? Uh, well, jamescolburn.net is my uh, website. Um, in there, you there's uh, free chapters of my book as well as a PDF uh, that explains the exact process of the five-minute epic evening ritual. Um, you can also um, actually shoot me uh, uh, an email there. I'd love to talk with people. I've got the ability to schedule a 15-minute call with me if that's an interest um, some people do that if they're interested in coaching. That's a 15, that's a 15 minute free call. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's the reason why I so boldly put that up is that there's only a very few that, um, take, take me up on that. Um, so I, uh, uh those that do take me up on that are, uh, very interesting people. Um, so it is a, it, it's interesting to see what, you know, comes with that. Um, and then also, you know, my book is on Amazon, uh, uh, as well as uh, Audible and iBooks and, uh, you know, iTunes and Kindle and paperback and audio. Can you say the title slowly? Absolutely. Book? So re-succeed. So R-E, succeed. That's it. And the subtitle, you don't need to give out, right? Re-succeed by James Colburn. Yes. Fantastic. Do you have any final thoughts for our storytellers today? Um, real quickly, I would just say that um, the best opportunity for me has been doing what I call the rocking chair test. So it's the idea of sitting on in the rocking chair of your future covered porch and literally watching the day go by. Um, and, um, asking yourself while you're sitting on that rocking chair, what are the things that I wish I would have done? Or what are the questions that I would wish I would have gotten the answer to that I never gave myself the time to, to, and, um, I, I would say taking the rocking chair test from time to time has been one of the very most uh, beneficial things that I've ever done as a part of reflection. 
to the point where I think I might even buy a rocking chair and actually sit on one. Um, I know several of our, my readers have sent me emails saying uh, uh, that they're playing Legos and buying rocking chairs. So, uh, so, so uh, I would say rocking chair test for every one of your listeners. And thank you for inviting me out. I hope this has been beneficial um, um, for you and for your listeners. And uh, it's just an honor to be on your show. It's been more than beneficial. It's been very enriching. And uh, I think you just may have given me the title for this particular podcast. I think I'm going to call it The Rocking Chair Test. Awesome. I like and, it. Because it embraces the whole theme of what you're talking about from beginning to end. The, yeah, you, you're, um, you've contributed a lot today, James. You have a, a clarity about you and a passion that a person cannot fake. Uh, I would, and that translates into authenticity, which has come out of your own experience, your own battles with demons, your own suffering, and your own victories. And for that, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you very much. It's been an honor, and uh, and uh, hope to do it again with you. Hey, I'm sure we could do many. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending enriching time with me and James Colburn today. Definitely let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And as always, remember to visit the website and download the gift that I have created for you. The ebook for free entitled Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. As I was editing this show, I began to relive it and to enjoy it uh, as much as, if not more, at times than when I was doing it live with James. And that was because he was offering so much incredible value through his heartfelt insights about success, fulfillment, happiness. And if you remember, I had said I was going to name the podcast The Rocking Chair Test. It's a very catchy title. It would arouse curiosity. But I decided instead, as you probably have noticed, that I named it Are You Enough? I did that because... That is the essential question that he's asking throughout this entire show. It's the theme around which our entire discussion is based. And it is the most important question that you can ask yourself. As far as books go, wow. He certainly is a lover of books, and he mentioned many that are game changers, life changers. I really hope that you rush to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Choose one of those titles and download it as an audiobook absolutely free. It will definitely enrich your life. I'm so excited by the discussion we had of books, 
that I'm going to offer you something special. The first three people who come to me and come to me, <laughs> first three people who contact me and tell me which book title really, really jumped out at them, assuming that you've gone and looked it up or you've read it or at least explored what it's about. Or even if you just tell me what was the main takeaway you got from everything that Dean discussed. Did I say Dean? <laughs> Must be because I was just listening to uh, Dean Jackson and Joe Polish in a very inspiring podcast, and I love marketing. No, I meant James. You tell me the first takeaway that you had, or the biggest takeaway that you had from what James and I were discussing. The first three people who communicate with me about that, I will offer you a 30-minute free consultation. We can do it on the phone. We can do it on Skype. We can do it on Zoom. And during that consultation, I will help you identify your core story, the message that you have inside of you that the world deserves to hear, and that you are dying to tell to the world, but perhaps for whatever reason you haven't. And we'll also get to what is the dominant story or message that may be holding you back. That is, again, a 30-minute free consultation with me. So send your communication, your messages to Lewis. L-O-U-I-S at changeyourstorypodcast.com. You can also send them to Lose Club, L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Now, for next week, what I would love you to start thinking about during the coming week is the question that became the title of this show. Are you enough? Most of us will find an area in our lives where that answer is no. And if you do, begin to dig deeper and find out what you need to help you recognize that you are enough and to begin that process of getting you from that negative place to the most pos positive and empowering place Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.